Hello, friend. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. I'm so glad to welcome you into the same place. It's a place of inclusivity and safety for any conversation to be heard. The safe place began as a image in my head of a wooden cabin on the lake. My own place of mental safety. And I welcome you here to listen to discussions on mental and physical health mental illness and mental and physical disability. You may hear stories that inspire. You may hear stories that make you cry, both in sadness and happiness. But always told from a place of truth. And we hold dear the principles of love, kindness and compassion. Now, with that all said, it's time to hunker down, get comfortable, so we're ready to welcome you in too. A safe place. Well, good afternoon, Brooke. So, thank you very much for coming on today and joining us in the in the safe place. Um, I'm going to literally pass straight over to you um, today and let you introduce yourself. <laughs> so, I'm Brooke, and I'm an adaptive athlete and podcast host. Um, yeah, like that's it's always really awkward when you've got to introduce yourself, isn't it? Because it's almost easier when someone else does it because they can recall all the things that you like you've done, and you're like, when you have to do it yourself, you're like, oh, I forgot about this that I did, and like I do that as well, and it's always like a bit of a funny one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, it's partly why I do it, if I'm honest, because <laughs> uh, you get some really interesting answers as well. Um, is, yeah, is I can what imagine. I've um and and I, I'm I'm the same. I I will usually give the headline and miss the kind of stuff that I probably should have spoken about. <laughs> um yeah. but that's that's all good. That's all good. Um so adaptive athlete then. Mm-hmm. What what is an adaptive athlete? So an adaptive athlete is anybody who uses any form of adaptions. Um with their physical body uh, to complete working out or workouts the term I'm not I don't really know when the term first came about but I know that it's pretty new and I was actually having this conversation last night I would I personally wouldn't call a para-olympian or anybody who does any form of para sports an adaptive athlete because their sports is that their sports and their craft and everything is is designed for them Whereas yeah. adaptive athletes, the sports are not necessarily designed for you. You're the person who's adapting to the sport. Um, and like obviously, like my remit is CrossFit, and that's where I first heard about it, and that's how I first got involved in it. And it's quite like an interesting one because it's quite new and it's it's up and coming, and it's a really interesting space to be in right now because there isn't really a rule book for it, and that's quite yeah. fun. And um. It, I think it's very much one of these things that's kind of trial and error. Um, but it's, it's it's exciting. It's it's exciting to have that and to be in that place and to be to be able to take part in it at this time of its like infancy. So yeah. So how, how long have you been doing it for then? So it's actually really funny. I had my um two year CrossFit anniversary last week. Um, but in saying that, I started doing CrossFit in twenty twenty. 
um, when everything kind of like opened up at the back end of summer. And mm. then obviously we got put back into a lockdown at the end of 2020 for like another four months, four or five months. Yeah. So I've only really been training in a box for like, I'd probably say something like 14 months consistently because obviously yeah, okay. we had that awkward time of the pandemic and then people weren't always allowed in at the same time. And we were very like aware of spaces and people in classes. And so I've only really been doing it for like 14 months, but I've always been like a really sporty person. I've not ever, I've never really had like a time in my life where I haven't done some form of like activity or exercise. Mm-hmm. So for me, like CrossFit was the, was like the natural progression as I was getting a bit older and and like leaving education and stuff because my education and my sports have always been like side by side so once I left uni I was looking for my next my next thing and it just turned out to be CrossFit. (laughs) So and what did you do at uni were you were you a a a true academic type or or was sports? (laughs) So I played uni hockey up until my third year and then third year just got a bit important and I need to take it a bit more seriously. Um, but like I did history of art at university and I always knew that I was doing it for, like for, for deepening my own knowledge of the subject. And I knew that at the end of it, like I was never going to be an art historian. I just really like talking about art. Yeah. <laughs> and I like, I'm very aware that I'm very privileged to say that. And like, I'm very blessed that I could do that. But for, for me, uni was more about the experience of uni than actually like getting the piece of paper at the end of it but it was yeah. a good it was a good laugh <laughs> I did history um just just straight history for my first degree and it was very similar in that I did it just because I liked it that was as simple as that yeah I think it's too it's too hard at the age of like 18 19 20s try and decide what your vocation is going to be for the rest mm-hmm. of your life like what I wanted to do three years ago is not what I want to do now so like how can you expect an 18 year old who barely knows themselves to like try and decide what they're going to do for the rest of their life I think it's a bit of a mad one really yeah I would I would wholeheartedly agree I mean I I will now so I'm starting my third time at uni um oh my gosh (laughs) next week or the week after I am a bit of a geek I say a bit of a geek I am a full-on geek nerd (laughs) whatever you want to describe it as um <laughs> for all my uh for for all my I kind of I love sport and I love everything else but I I just love learning it's just something that I've always yeah. always enjoyed um but my first one was was history and I, I did it because I liked it simple as that I, I wasn't thinking about the future because yeah you know you when you're when you're deciding you're what 17 really yeah, but you can also young, put it right really, back to GCSEs because yeah. actually you need to know what's A level subjects to do for your your degree if you, if that's the route you go down. And I didn't have a clue, <laughs> I really didn't at all. Um, probably looking back, had some inclinations over what I would kind of like to do, but didn't want to tell anybody about it at that at that yeah. age because I thought it might sound silly. Um, and then I, I then went back and did law because I thought that was then what I wanted to do. Turns out uh-huh. really boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Learned that. <laughs> took took a lot of money and and uh, a lot of time at uni, but I learned that one. Um, and now I'm going back to do psychology. 
and and that is probably where I should have gone Every in my first day. three, uh, and and I would have got a lot more out of of doing it, and um, and yeah, would have got more of a more of a career kind of focus. Yeah, I would say. Um, but yeah, it is it is hard. Um, so it, like, obviously, you came out of uni, um, mm-hmm. and did you? So you're a hockey player. Yeah, so I played uni hockey and I really enjoyed that. And I like I've always loved team sports. Like I love I love team sports. I love the camaraderie of it. I love, you know, that you're kind of all in it together. And I also think like it's it's a really great way of like learning people skills. Yeah. And like I think that's like something that I really loved and loved taking away from it. And when I left uni, I like I was flitting in between I think I was I was between here, like the UK and New York. So I would go away to New York in the summer. So I kind of knew that I wasn't staying in the UK for all that long. By like the time May came around every year, I was off and I wasn't back until like the back end of September. Mm. And then I'd be gone again in the next May. So it didn't really make sense for me to to join a team sport because I would, I'd be gone for like a good part of the season or I'd miss the preseason. So I never joined any like I didn't join like a local cl- hockey club like in my hometown because I just I knew that it was pointless like I'd be spending money to join and money on kit and then I'd, I'd be gone within yeah. the space of like five months so it didn't really make any sense and then <laughs> and then obviously like COVID came along and I kind of got stuck <laughs> and I had to like stay put and that was 2020 was like the first year in like five years that I had had stayed in the country for for like a prolonged period of time and I was like okay like and now I need to get back into some form of fitness and I was going to the gym and and I and I really enjoyed going to the gym but I really missed that social aspect of it like I'm someone that loves to have conversations with people like I love learning about people and I love meeting new friends and like like minded people and I kind of stumbled across a crossfit my god that was quite wordy wasn't it (laughs) yeah I stumbled across CrossFit and I liked that it was super varied it wasn't all just one thing it wasn't all just weightlifting and it wasn't all just gymnastics it was a hybrid of both and there was a bit of cardio in there as well and I kind of knew what I was doing at the gym and I was pretty fit anyway and I thought I might as well I might as well go and give this a try and like Mm -hmm turns out that I thought I was fit and then I stepped in the side of CrossFit box and I was like I am not as fit as I thought I was <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think anybody that has that has tried CrossFit I mean I I, I am not fit at the moment at all um because I, I, I had surgery earlier this year so I'm still kind of mm. in recovery phase but I remember trying CrossFit for the first time and I genuinely thought I was having a heart attack <laughs> I was just and, I, and that was me not quite at peak fitness because I, I I was uh-huh. going through a bit of an injury phase but I was I was reasonably fit yeah. for me and I, I was just dying absolutely yeah. dying I kind of love that though that's what I think I really enjoy about it is that it pushes you to the point where you're like I really like being put in a pain cave and like you just have to slog through it and the only way through it is just carry on because you're not getting yeah. out of it and I really like that about it is it really pushes you to be to be better and like 
I love that about it. I love that whole mentality that you you kind of put yourself into a dark place to push forward and to prove to yourself that you can do it. Mm. And like, it's not for everyone. Like that is not, that's like not everyone's cup of tea, but I really enjoy it. And yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of changed my life actually. Like, and that sounds really deep and really dramatic, but actually I don't really know where I would be without it now. Like really big part of my friendship group is now CrossFit. A lot of mm. my friends outside of, where I live quite a few of them are all part of CrossFit as well and and like I've met some great other adaptive athletes and I've been involved in some really cool things with them and like it's just been yeah like it's it's insane that it's kind of become such a big part of my life when it it never really was it was never set out to be (laughs) yeah and I mean it's a it's another level of of kind of social interaction I think with with cross i mean i i've been i've been going to the gym for well, since i was like 16 because i was a rugby player when i was mm-hmm. younger yeah um so i was obviously having to work out as part of that um played a bit of rugby during uni as well so obviously yeah mixture of drinking and and working out um <laughs> yeah. and, and doing really ridiculous things that i will never speak of um because that's what you do as a rugby boy um so I've I've always done it but it's just it's a different dynamic being in that kind of circle of people that are so involved in that specific type of fitness even even in rugby I didn't find it was as close to that kind of community as as I've seen it in in boxes um is that is that something that you found as well with like comparing hockey to yeah so like I think I think what really attracts people to CrossFit is that you you can you can literally push as hard as you want or as little as you want but the people that push the hardest tend to get the most out of it and and it does it does attract that type of person who wants to better themselves who does want to push themselves who who wants to grow whether it be like physically or, or even mentally and and I think because of that because it is quite a specific person people all tend to get on quite well because they all mm. want the same thing out of it and um the community it's got such a community-based spirit and I love that so much like I love the fact that I could go to my CrossFit box now and it's not a time that I would usually go and train but I would it, I would be more than welcomed into the class and like I would know people there and the coaches would be really happy to see me and I'd be happy to see them. And it's, you know, it's a lovely, lovely community environment. And it's not actually something I think that you can recreate anywhere else. I don't really know how to, to, to explain it very well, but unless you've stepped foot in a CrossFit box, you're not necessarily going to get what we're talking about. Cause mm. it's just, it's just, it's such a community based environment. And I love that so much, but it's very, it is different from other sports that I've played. But I love it. I just I think there's nothing better than than going in and pushing yourself. Maybe like feeling like you're going to be sick, but you know you've done a good job at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I will also say that the one thing that I found in particular with CrossFit is that if you if you don't do it properly, it's an injury waiting to happen. Have you experienced yeah. that kind of side of it? Particularly um, with being adaptive, because obviously you've got a yeah. you've got a different dynamic there. 
Mm-hmm. So I, when I first started CrossFit, I was really lucky. A coach that I was working with happened to know um, Lou Hawkins, who is uh, another adaptive athlete with the same disability as me. She's yeah. been in the game a lot longer than I have. And um, I got to have a Zoom meeting with her to talk all about how she does her adaptions and stuff. And that was honestly one of the most helpful things that's ever ever happened to me to be honest because she went through what she used and how she approaches things and we've become really really good friends since and I'm actually without her I probably wouldn't have started CrossFit to be quite honest and um it's all I think it's all about knowing what your body can and can't do specifically if you're an adaptive athlete but that only kind of comes with trial and error so like you kind of do have to maybe don't go as far as injuring yourself but put yourself in a little bit of discomfort to find out what you can and can't do yeah um but with like in terms of you know it's an injury because I hear that quite a lot a lot of people are always like oh if you have bad form you're going to get injured and I was like it's the same with any sport like if you had any bad form in any sport you're going to get injured it's just crossfit can be quite fast paced yeah and if you're not you know if you're not you know with good form if you're not on good form or you're not you know lifting with good form you are going to get injured but it's the same as everything else it just happens to be that CrossFit gets a bit of a funny name for it well and I think it's where it's the kind of it's the amazing part of CrossFit and it's also the bit that you could get caught out by if you don't yeah for sure I've won a really good coach and and I think the certainly that's something again that, that I've seen in, in the few different boxes that I've been to is that the, where you've got really good coaches, you, you go, you see people go through the fundamentals yeah. first before they, before they even think about doing what we yeah. would term as CrossFit. And I think sometimes that bit's missed out or, or at least you don't do enough of that, which is then opening up the injuries. And then you, you know, once enough people get injured, it's it's yeah. the kind of thing that it becomes known for, isn't it? But as you say, it's it's you're doing a lot of reps. So mm-hmm. if you don't do it properly, you're gonna bloody hurt yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Then you won't. S- seems so simple. Yeah, I mean I think it is. I think people like to think it's really complicated, but actually it's not. It's basically adult PE. Like you're basically just allowed to run around a jungle gym kind of unsupervised kind of supervised depending on who the coach is <laughs> so yeah like I I love it and like I'd be I'd be pretty lost without it right now that's for sure uh, do you find that through different kind of points in your life so you've been doing it for what 18 months two years now yeah overall, obviously with the, the kind of COVID influence and have you found that at different points of your life you've kind of used it more as a as a almost as a kind of mental health escape because again that's something yeah. that I, I think so I think because it is it is so about CrossFit is just as much as a mental game as it is a physical game and that's because you have to put yourself into uncomfortable positions and like you not and I'm not talking about positions in like you know how you move your body I'm talking about yeah. you know going into a workout and you know that it's going to be a hard one like you know it's going to you've got 40 minutes to get through as many rounds as possible or you've got to complete the workout in the time and and that you know there are strengths and weaknesses for everybody 
in CrossFit and depending on what workout comes up, it could be something that really works for you or, or something that d- does absolutely not work for you at all. Yeah. And I think it is very much about putting yourself in that uncomfortable position. And, and as I said, like pushing through and, and getting, getting results. And for sure, I think a lot of people can use it for like to improve mental health. And I think it absolutely does. And the times where I really focused on training and, and having a good time, it's definitely done wonders for it. I think now as I'm getting a bit older I realize how important it is to move in general for mental health like Mm. I have come to I had COVID at the like end of end of May beginning of June this year yeah and for 10 like I had it for 10 days and and the thing is I was really COVID cocky I was like I'm never gonna get it I was like I am the messiah my blood is gonna (laughs) save the world like I'd worked in healthcare throughout the pandemic and I never got it. So I was really like, I am the next like savior of the world. Like it is me. <laughs> and then I got it and I was absolutely flawed. And like, yeah. I thought I was like, the end is nigh. Like I need someone to write a will for me. <laughs> like I can't breathe. This is horrendous. And for those 10 days where I couldn't like do anything, I was it was not good for me like I'm someone who needs to do something every day even if that's just like a a walk I'm just an active person it gives me like a little bit of space to breathe I can helps me get all my thoughts in order like that's just the type of person I am And, (laughs) and for those 10 days I was all over the shop and then when I was allowed out I was like oh my god this is amazing first time I worked out in like 10 days I was like oh my goodness this is so good how is this not prescribed for everyone all the time like absolutely buzzing off the endorphins yeah and um what was really crazy is for me like I I went into COVID actually at quite a a physically fit position and I came out of COVID really like my aerobic abilities had absolutely plummeted and it took me maybe about six weeks to recover and I was I would have classed myself as someone who was pretty fit at that point in time and it took me a good like a good two months to get back to where I was before and like I'd never experienced that before in my life so I was getting really frustrated when I was like like eight weeks ago I could do this and I can't do it now and it was just it was a like crazy time to experience that and I kind of understood a lot more about COVID after that and like I had a lot more patience for it Um, yeah but I definitely felt the benefits of going back after not being able to move. It was like, it was so, it was so good. Oh my gosh. It was like the best. My first workout after I got back was like the best thing I'd ever done. <laughs> I felt so great. Just, I've just got this mental image of you just beaming, almost like a cartoonish beam. Yeah, um, uh, yeah that was literally what I was like. I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness, this is incredible. Like, guys, how is everybody not doing this? And I think it kind of reminded me of the first CrossFit session I did because afterwards I was like, oh my God, this is great. Like, oh, how like cool is this? Like, I feel so good. It's it's a, that kind of recovery thing is a, it's a difficult one because I mean, I mean, I'm, I was born with my condition. So I, lower limb is, is my issue. So I've got basically very knackered angles. Yeah. And that's just, yeah, that's just life. Um, and it's, I was, I was chatting to one of my kind of former gym partners, not, not too long ago. So he's just injured his back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like the first time he's ever hurt himself, like not been able to kind of do any, any real training. Cause it's just, yeah, just, just can't. Yeah. Whereas 
I'm like an old hat at, <laughs> <laughs> at injuries, uh, having to have time off and all that sort of stuff. Because sometimes I, I mean, I, sometimes I can't walk. So if I can't mm-hmm. walk, I, I tend not to be able to do the sort of workouts that I enjoy doing because I, yeah. I tend to like lifting big, heavy things. And um, that's probably the, the thing that I've found most difficult, actually, is that adjustment to not now being allowed to lift big, heavy things. Yeah. Um, which is a which is a kind of strange dynamic but I think if you've not experienced that before I I do think it's more difficult to then figure out how to kind of get through that and get around that yeah and somebody that's kind of lived that throughout their entire life and I think that's where particularly particularly people in the disability community have almost the kind of almost the the answers to people that haven't been through stuff so yeah you know it's it's a powerful thing that you learn as you grow up if you're constantly having to adapt to everybody and everything else whereas if you've never had to do that you haven't got that skill set no and I think that's so true is that naturally disabled people like and this is a massive like you know blanket statement but I from the people that I've spoken to and the conversations that I've had, I'm pretty sure I'm I'm completely fine in saying this, is that naturally people who have some form of disability are generally, on the whole, incredibly good problem solvers and adapting mm. to their environments, regardless of whether they realise they're doing it or not, because yeah. that has been our lives. We didn't have an option to to not do it. It's it's very much sink or swim, and I like swimming, so I'm going to carry on and, and reach my goals. So that means that I've got to adapt, and that is just the way of life. And for people who haven't had to adapt because the world is built for them, you know, they don't know what it's like. I recently had a friend who had a quite quite a severe injury, and she really struggled with it. And I was like, yeah, like it sucks, but that's life like mm. you, you you're gonna have to learn adaptions that work for you and and in the nicest way possible like welcome to my world yeah. <laughs> like this is what it's this is a this is what it's like and and I think you know having those having that skill set is incredible and I didn't really realize that I it was like I had it until I sat down and I was like I'm actually such a good problem solver and I and mm. I'm not saying that to big myself up but there have been situations where I've been like, okay, I can figure this out. Give me, give me five minutes and a room so I can think, or give me like a marker pen and I'll be fine. Like, like yeah, or, leave me to it. Or you just do it on autopilot. You just, yeah. it's just a natural thing that you go through. Um, yeah, exactly. You just, as you, as you very eloquently put that you are just better at it by, um, yeah. by living it throughout well your entire life. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a daily experience. And so, you know, quite a lot of it is unconscious and it's not until you put pen to paper, you you realise how, you know, adaptable you, you are and, and actually mm. how good you are at it. Like, I like to think I'm really good at it. I'm a really good problem solver. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's come because that's my lived experience. It's not yeah. because I learned how to solve problems. I just had to. And it's... It's a bit like I mean I, I I never used to refer to myself as being disabled. So when I was growing up, mm-hmm. it wasn't something that I ever 
ever thought about or or kind of labelled myself as, even though what's going on with me now is exactly the same as when I was 10, yeah. 13, whatever. It's the same thing. It's just some of it's slightly worse because, you know, you get older and things, yeah, things change. get a bit worse, just the way it is. But it's the same. And I look the same apart from now I use mobility aids to get around rather than um, being able to get around on my, my own two feet, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I kind of had this, almost like this moment, not to put it too highbrow, but in that I, I was kind of thinking the other day that it's not actually that I haven't ever thought of myself as disabled. It's that I was never in the position where I was having to actively kind of push through a world where I couldn't get around it. So mm-hmm. as an example... I've I now do term myself as disabled yeah because I'm disabled in the sense of that if I go down to Solcombe which is we're actually going this weekend Uh um and it's hills it's steps galore it's all that Mm. sort of stuff and it's it's the kind of the premise that it's it's the world that becomes disabling for the individual rather than the individual has become disabled Mm -hmm. Uh, is that something that you've kind of found through through the podcast and and through your your own lived experience yeah I mean so that's kind of what the social model of disability is so like the social model of disability says that it's not disability is not the person it's the society around it that disables the person so for example think about a building and you think about going into that building. So like average Joe Bloggs would just step into the building. Yeah. But what if there's a step? What about wheelchair users? Why was, where is the wheelchair access? Well, there's no ramp. So how does the wheelchair user get inside the building? It's not that they don't want to, it's that they can't. And society mm. never thought about putting a ramp in there in the first place. So I think it's a really interesting train of thought. And it's something that I do massively agree with because I think, that actually the way disability was portrayed in society for such a long time is is you know you you don't talk about it it's very much seen and not heard and then like in America they they had the ugly laws which is if you were disfigured or you know disabled you were not allowed out essentially or you had to cover up or you had to hide yourself um and so for a really long time disability has been this thing and it's almost been like kept in the dark and and you know you're you're not necessarily allowed you haven't been allowed to speak about it before and and then you come to representation where you think who who looked like me in the media when I was growing up or like where were the stories that are like mine when I was growing up they they didn't exist and it's it's quite an interesting one because I think we're now in a time and a space where disability rights and disability movement and yes the movement's been going on for far longer than you know I've been alive but mm. actually it's still very much in its infancy because there's still so much work to be done because people are only now starting to realize that socially society excludes disabled people in like unbelievably so yeah like to, to an extent that you it's not until you have conversations with people that you realize how bad um it can be for some people and and that's I've learned a lot of that through my own podcast and and hearing other people's stories and what's 
what's really interesting is there's always a huge, huge difference between those who have acquired their disability for whatever reason and those who were born disabled. There is there's generally like a big, big difference in terms of their thought patterns and how they see disability and and that's been really interesting because both sides of the coin are equally as interesting but the stories are very different and yet similar at the same time so it it is society has a lot a lot to answer for when it comes to disability and and how and how we view disability and how actually for a long time it's been something that's been really uncomfortable for a lot of people and it's not until we realize that we can talk about it and we can have these conversations and you you can be like proud to be disabled and you can have pride in your disability and and there is joy to be found in a disabled life that actually it's okay because because before it it wasn't and and even even just the fact of that you can have a normal life yeah whatever normal is because quite frankly normal doesn't exist like there isn't such a thing yeah sorry can I Um, swear on this (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I regularly do. Uh, um, no, it, it it really is because I mean, if you think about what what normal is meant to be, it's that it's a majority, effectively. Yeah. Okay, so where in the UK have you got a majority of anything? Oh well, there just isn't because yeah. the whole everybody has got something going on in a different way because of their their own experiences their own background their own life story and that could be some amazing stuff that could be super privileged you know yeah fantastic lives and all that sort of stuff and you know yay um or it could be the the other end of the spectrum where it's mm. it's really not it's really really difficult it's it's living in poverty or it's um having to deal with a world that's not designed um for you mm-hmm. and it's it, it it kind of it frustrates me the the kind of whole conversation around um what disability is because we've been having a lot of that at, at work recently but also the kind of representation side so I, i'm actually doing a piece at work at the moment um it's my last week in in the in the firm that I work for at the moment. So I work in banking, mm-hmm. uh, which has got nothing to do with my degrees. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I work, work, work in banking um, for, a, for a big bank and I'm effectively leaving because I don't feel like there is any growth opportunity in what is a huge blue chip company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There should be growth opportunity in. And one of the prime reasons for that is that if you look at senior management, there is nobody apart from one person who's in a very niche area. Um, yeah. There's no one that is anything like me. Mm-hmm. Nobody that's got um, any, certainly any either visible or that they talk about disability. Yeah. Um, and even just, you know, background wise it's it's just a very atypical you know think of a banker in your mind and, and that, <laughs> that's what yeah. that's what there is kind of thing and if you don't fit that mold or if you don't have those people to look up to and to go well actually they've done it so that means that I can probably do it too yeah um it, it's a really a really big and important thing 
um, something that I think we need to do a lot more on. Um, and I think I think there's things that have done really well. So like the Paralympic Games, particularly the the 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 12. Because um, it's 10 years, isn't it? Um, games, I think, did a lot for for allowing there to be more disabled people on TV. Yeah. Um, as an example, and have you seen that in in the kind of CrossFit world as well with the adapt? Because there seems to be a lot more that going that's going on now than there was. Is that fair? Yeah. To say? So twenty twenty was the no, twenty twenty one. Sorry, was the first ever year that cross, the CrossFit Games allowed adaptive athletes to compete. So before then, it wasn't really recognised as, as like a sub like section of CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that they have them at the games, and like you know, they're they're in the open, and like they well, when I say they, I mean like adaptive athletes are allowed to compete against other adaptive athletes, and um, which is amazing. And I think that that's I really like being it, that again. It's very much in its infancy, and and it's very much you know about learning. And that's what I really like at this point in time when it comes to it is that people are going to make mistakes and like there are going to be things that don't necessarily work. But if you don't try it, you're never going to know that it's Mm. going to work or not. And and that's that's nice. It's in its infancy and and it's coming about because it's, it's a great time to be involved in that. And I think. In terms of like 2012, I think because it was in London and because it was in the UK, you're so right it we were almost like way more supportive of the Paralympic Games than we ever have been because it was on home turf and and we really wanted to show how proud we were of our team and and Britain and London and and everything that went on and and it was great and I remember seeing you know for example The Last Leg one of my favorite tv shows that's how it came about it came about because of the Paralympics and they were given they were given like I think it was like a six-week run to do over that period of time and then it's ended up being like a 10 year long stint and I think that's incredible but as those years have gone on and the further we've got away from that the less representation there seems to be and um I actually had a conversation with Martin Dugan about this who's who was a BBC presenter still works uh, in and around the BBC he was a newsreader presenter and we had like a really long conversation about disability representation on on the screen and on media and and I think you know 2012 allowed it to be there and then suddenly 2012 was over and then we got to like 2013 2014 2015 and we're not as interested anymore and then 2016 the Olympics aren't on our home ground so we don't really care as much um and so it kind of like falls off the radar a bit and and it's frustrating because I still don't see myself represented but that just means that I have to shout a bit louder to make my voice heard for someone else who is like me and and realizes that actually they can do what they want to do and they can be proud of it um, because I sat on my chair and started talking you know <laughs> mm. and 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 what in terms of in terms of actually allowing that change to happen because I think I think it is a case of allowing it to happen rather than forcing it to happen mm-hmm. um what do you see as the best method 
for for kind of helping that change along I think it's like there is no easy answer for this because no matter what you say someone's going to be pissed off with what your answer is but I think there should always I always think there should be representation everywhere um but then at the same time you don't just want there to be representation for representation's sake because that's also something that's really really difficult and like I hate to say you don't like at a party I don't want to be the token disabled person right because it's it's always the way you know I don't want to be that person but at the same time like I want my the things I can and can't do and and the things I'm good at to, to be noticed and if they're not being noticed because I'm disabled well that sucks and that's not great and it's about giving equal footing and equal opportunity for disabled people because at the minute then it's not and you're very much put to the back of the queue and that queue might be a bunch of people who are all six foot and you might be a wheelchair user you're never going to get to the front because you're sat down and you're at the back and you've got to push yourself and you've got to propel yourself forward whereas everybody else has got two feet and you're never going to be able to keep up unless you just run over some toes that's always yeah. the one. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a part-time wheelchair user. Um, basically, when I can't get around on crutches, I'll, I'll, uh-huh. I'll use a chair instead. Um, and it's, I mean, I, my crutches are a bright orange, like you know, same kind of orange mm-hmm. as the, the t-shirt that, that I'm wearing, which people listening won't be able to see, but it's a very bright orange. Um, <laughs> and I think probably the last. Maybe the last three months, um, as I've as I've been using them everywhere, I've really noticed the difference in when I use even one stick compared to two sticks, mm-hmm. and when I'm using two sticks compared to being in a chair, yeah. and the different attitudes that that people have, um, and also the kind of the way that parents actually, in particular are with their kids when they ask questions mm-hmm. you, you can kind of hear the questions be asked and you know it's normal yeah. for a, a kid to be be inquisitive and it's actually it's great in my view for kids to be inquisitive and to to be asking about different people and and trying to understand that but then so often the, the parent will just go oh well they've just hurt themselves yeah particularly when i'm on crutches it's, oh, they, they, they must have hurt their ankle or must have hurt their foot. or It's like they, they don't even think about, well, actually, it's because they, they need the the sticks to get around and to, to be able to, to walk and, and, and move like you and I. Um, or yeah. in, a, in a chair, it's the same. In that sense, it's that, oh, well, they're, 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 um, they're not able to use the legs. I think what people tend to forget as well is that at any point you could become disabled yeah at any point in time like like heaven forbid and touch wood someone listening to this podcast could be so engrossed in this conversation that they fall down their stairs and they break their leg in like three different places or whatever and they're now unable to use their leg you are now disabled yeah welcome to the club Mm -hmm. like people forget that a lot that you know it's not this it's not unattainable for anyone and actually we need to realize that because there's so much to be said about disability and about and it's it's all about it comes down to education doesn't it 
I mean, like yeah. at base level, it all comes down to education about how to how to how we view disability to, to how we interact with disability. It all comes down to education and listening to disabled voices. But because for so long society hasn't listened to disabled voices, we don't always know. And I and I say we, I mean like the royal we, not me. Yeah. Um, we don't know how to interact in the best way with disability, and we don't know how to act without offending or people are too scared that they will offend because they don't know what's right and what's wrong when actually like nine times out of ten I think a lot of people would rather you just ask the question and and get the response than rather than shying away from from having those conversations that might make you feel uncomfortable or awkward yeah I was uh, in, in a bit of prep for a meeting I've got um next week I was looking at the kind of stats that sit around this and um, within the workplace context, so you've got to take that into mind, um, roughly 45% of people, so non-disabled people this is, mm-hmm. um, feel uncomfortable using the word disabled or yeah. aversion or disability. They feel uncomfortable using it, which I just think is, an, uh, frankly, a madness. Right? It's yeah. a word. It's wild, isn't it? <laughs> But then at the same time, I've probably been that person mm-hmm. because I, if as I was saying before, I, I didn't think of myself as disabled and it was probably actually I didn't want to label myself as disabled because I thought it was going to only have negative impacts. Yeah. There probably is some in reality. Uh, in fact, there almost definitely is some. Um, but equally, it's opened up a, a kind of a different world to me that I kind of wish that I'd known more of. Um, yeah. And it's amazing what ableism can do, isn't it? Yeah. Like it, like it, it all comes down to education and ableism. That's like the best way to put it is that everything. <laughs> Everything is generally ableism and it's always because there's a lack of education and that's the best, that's the only way to really describe it. Um, and it can get really frustrating, I think, especially when when you think that this is like our daily life. But mm. then I think I almost forget that disability isn't a part of everybody's everyday life because it's, it's yeah. part of mine. It always has been, it always will be. So I don't know any different. And that, for me, is something that I need to like remember that actually, disability isn't a part of your average show blogs is every day. Even even though I think it should be, it, it isn't. You know, and that's, that's and it's a li- it's a little bit like I, mean, I I remember I distinctly remember going up up to um, a friend's uh, birthday party uh, at university, and it was a kind of fairly kind of backward town. I won't name it because mm-hmm. it's not really appropriate to. Um, but we, within our group of friends, because it was it was a, a normal university, there was um, a guy that had very poor sight. Um, so uh-huh. um, it had a degenerative condition. There was a, uh, a black guy and an Asian guy. Um, and then there were everyone else in there, just, you know, normal um normal kind of world and no one reacted to the blind guy at all um or visibly um impaired guy um 
but the looks that the um, Asian guy got were slightly worrying. Mm-hmm. But then the questions that the black guy got were extremely worrying. And it was because they just didn't have anybody from the black community or anybody from the Asian community in in their location. They just hadn't yeah. come across those people. And it's the same kind of context for people with disability. If you don't see it, if you don't know people that have got it, if you don't see them on TV, like the brilliant last leg, but also if you see people on TV that are playing a disabled um, um, kind of person, that I'm not entirely sure where I, whether I like that or don't like that at the moment. Um, uh-huh. You have watched The Good Doctor. Uh, is this about the autistic doctor? Yeah. Um, so I've heard things about it, and I, I haven't I haven't dived in just yet. So I've, I've I, heard like interesting and mixed reviews. People who either really love it, and then yeah. people who really don't like it. And that's that's the one that probably causes me most difficulty because as a TV show, if I forget that the guy that plays the autistic doctor um, isn't autistic, so if I forget that, which actually you could argue he's not, he, he portrays it reasonably well, mm-hmm. although it's a very big spectrum, so you, you don't yeah. really know. Um it's a it's a really good show. It's probably a little bit worse than in the later series than the, than the earlier ones, but <laughs> that, that happens. But then, as soon as I remember that the actor isn't autistic, it just really winds me up. It's, yeah, it's just really frustrating because that could have been somebody that um, could have played that role with lived experience and made sure it was you know, the best representation of, of that as as possible. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that doesn't happen? Um, this is really, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because I think, like, TV shows need representation. We have absolutely piss-poor representation across the board in general, yeah. like, that's factual that's not me being whimsical that's that's fact but then when when directors specifically are making things they want the best actors and actresses to play their parts and the disabled community aren't always seen as the best options because we can you know quote unquote we can be difficult and it's not that we're difficult it's our access needs are different mm-hmm but they want names that are going to pull in people and, you know, because disabled people aren't always given the same exposure, disabled names are not that well known. They're not. And I think it is a really difficult one because on the one hand, I un- I completely understand the monetary side of it. I completely mm. get it. If the money doesn't come in, the project doesn't get made. And that is business, right? That's, that is what it is. However, on the flip side, the representation side and and whether it's, fair or unfair is a completely different matter because you're right someone who was or you know someone who does have autism could have played that character and could have played it using lived experience and 
kind of really you know taken it on and made it their own and done some incredible representation for that community whereas if you're having an actor who isn't necessarily autistic but then has input from charities and support and maybe people around him who are autistic it's you know they can do just as good a job maybe a little bit differently so it's a really really difficult one because I think if the education behind the characters are there and I think actually like you know when we're talking about neurodivergent characters it's it's very different to physical disabilities because Mm -hmm. physical disabilities can be played with prosthetics without prosthetics and and that's you know quite nine times out of ten you don't have a part in Hollywood or TV shows where the character is written in with having some form of limb difference or a physical yeah. disability. They'll have been in a tragic accident and that's how they become disabled. Generally, that is the storyline. Yeah. And that's, again, factual. But when it comes to neurodivergence, I think having the input from charities, organizations, other people, lived experiences for the actor who can portray that in such a way that makes it authentic. And, and I can't speak for that community because I'm not a part of that community, but I feel like maybe that's a, like an equally good way of going about it. But I'm very wary of saying that because that's my thoughts on it, but I'm not a part of that community. So I I don't really get like a say in, in, in what's right and what's wrong for, for mm. that particular scope. Well, it's, it's something that I've seen bizarrely more in... Um, so I, I I like games. I used I used to work for game the the game store um, many many years ago. Um, and there's a game that I started playing recently, which is called Saint Saints Row, mm-hmm. which is a, a horrific game really in, in that it's gang gang violence and yeah, just shooting yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. put put that to a side for a second. One of the really interesting things that that I've seen with it though is that when you're designing your character, which is one of the mm-hmm. first things you do, um, you can design them with uh, prosthetic legs, um, yeah. single or, or double um, arms. There's no wheelchair, which you could argue isn't isn't quite as good as it could be, but it probably wouldn't fit the game in in that sense. So I can kind of see the the, mm-hmm. the rationale behind it, but like you, that's I think the first time that I've seen that um, in any game where you can actually have yourself not entirely represented, but much closer uh, yeah. to representation than, than before. You're like 60% of the way there. Yeah. You're not the full 100%, but you're 60% of the way there. Because like, I mean, they're not, not going to have the main character with crutches like me, as an example. Because yeah. that, although actually that would be quite a good weapon, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, it's it's a step in the right direction, and I think there's there does seem to be that desire from certain pockets to do that. Uh, I mean, social media's although I would argue they really haven't got it right yet um, is another one where you know the little uh, emoji characters that you can now make on yeah. Facebook. And, and Instagram um so I tried to make one uh and couldn't couldn't add crutches mm-hmm. so couldn't do that um but also I couldn't for some reason I can't put myself in a wheelchair mm-hmm. whereas other people can yeah 
And it's like that kind of, like you say, that 60%, it's like they're, they're trying, but just not quite getting there. It's interesting that you bring this up because I had a really interesting conversation with Paola Caruso, who is the creator and founder of Inclusive Collective. And the whole idea is to bring disability representation into a Web3 world so that you can create your avatars to look exactly like you, whether that be with a wheelchair, with crutches, limb difference, not limb difference, stoma bags, no stoma bags, invisible, uh, hidden or physical disabilities. And that is that's her whole thing. And um, yeah. like for Web3, that is coming. But right now we don't really have it because, you know, it's not it's not there. And because, you know, representation has been so lacking for so long that like web designers don't always think of these things immediately. It's not mm. their first thing because it's, you know, it's not the average Joe blogs and they they design to appeal to the masses. Right. And like yeah, of course. even even though disability is, is a huge number, technically, it's still not in the masses and it's not the majority. So. It's only 20% of the population within the UK, but, you know. Yeah. Only 20%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 20, 20, roughly 20%. One in five. Obviously, that is slanted as um, as you get older. So there's a greater population above 70 that are disabled compared to mm-hmm. below 70. Yeah. Which, again, goes back to the point that anybody can and potentially will become disabled at some point in their in their lives yeah but that's a big old proportion of the of the population to just still huge it's It's just still massive slightly sickening really um in many ways so much untapped potential i'm telling you there is And, and that one of the things that i do a lot of these days um is trying to unleash that that kind of un, untapped potential yeah um and i think that's where there's some advantages to working for big organizations because I mean, if i think about the organizations that i tend to work with they're usually minimum of ten thousand plus employees so mm-hmm. within that population you know you've got you've got uh, in theory because it I mean, obviously the practice is probably slightly different, but you've got a couple of thousand worth of of um, disabled people that you can help um, yeah. and kind of help improve things for, which is which is definitely a, a kind of real positive. Um, but equally, they don't move that quickly, mm. <laughs> so it can be quite slow and and um, and frustrating. Um, so, just what wanted to. I'm conscious that we're we're kind of getting to to around the hour point, but I just wanted to hear a little bit more about the the podcast and and how yeah. how and why really you started it. So, I didn't feel like there was a space where disabled people could just be happy to be disabled, and like, and it was completely okay to say that, yeah. and that it was like allowed and there was there wasn't really talks about how actually disability had affected their career choices and what they did and and how they went down it but actually like ultimately how that's fine and that you know disability pride is a thing like you can be really proud to be disabled but you don't always have to love your disability and I was 
and I was having a conversation with a friend and I, like I've always I've always screamed and shouted but kind of like behind closed doors and at one point someone was like look you're gonna have to open your doors and you're gonna have to scream and shout because your voice needs to be heard and and also in in the loveliest way possible I'm kind of bored of hearing about it like someone else is gonna get some real enjoyment out of it and I need you need to stop coming to me for it and so I did and and then I thought if I want to be hearing these stories about other people who are disabled and their lives and their journeys and and not just you know not just like people who are you know influencers I want to talk to athletes I want to talk to writers directors people who are involved in politics like how we don't get that representation and and that's kind of where the idea came from and I always knew that it would be called disabled and proud because Mm. I am so I have so much pride in my disability and I'm so proud to be disabled because I think like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants who came before me and like how lucky am I that I get to get to do that and to shout and to scream about things that I really care about and have these conversations with loads of different disabled people with completely varying disabilities and and whether they've acquired them or they were born that way like I just I feel very very lucky that it's kind of become my thing and like I like I love it so much and I just if it helps one person realize that being disabled is is like completely fine and like you can be proud to be disabled then like I've done my job and like yeah. I just I love it so much <laughs> and you can tell as you talk about it that that you've got a real a real passion um yeah. for it which which I think is a lovely a lovely thing just to be able to to have as much as yeah. out um because it's very easy not to or to end up being in something that you're, you're probably not as passionate about so, so getting that um yeah it's a big win I would say yeah I just I think if it helps like one person or like the way that when I was first talking about it if if like one younger person with a disability realizes that their life isn't going to be shit because they're disabled then like it's done its job like Mm. you can grow up to be whatever you want to be and yeah your disability might get in the way but actually like there is so much joy to be had in that and and you will be fine and like you can make friends and you can have a beautiful life and your life is not any less than because you're disabled then I've done my job like I've done something good for 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 someone hopefully and I just feel really lucky that these people agree to come on the podcast and share their story and and like we get to have these conversations like how lucky am I that I get to do that and like yeah is that not like the best thing ever I obviously think it is (laughs) and I I would I would agree yeah like I just I feel incredibly blessed that people want to talk about it and um, like let me like ask some questions about it I just yeah I feel very very lucky and very very blessed that it, it kind of came about the way that it did and it's become like my little baby it's like my firstborn <laughs> <laughs> amazing I, I must admit I, I I started this one for for similar reasons it was mental illness yeah. that, that I started this one for um in particular men's um mental uh-huh. illness. so I I have lived with depression, which I now know, for about thirty years ish, um, uh-huh. with you know kind of varying varying scales as as it as it that's just how depression often is. Yeah. Um, 
And again, it was the representation side of things. Like I just, I wasn't hearing people talk about it in particular. I wasn't hearing real stories being shared. Yeah. Um, and it was that thought exactly like you of, well, if, if by either me sharing my own personal story or having guests on that share theirs, um, and then by having different people on that will be able to share different dynamics, if that helps just one person to talk about it themselves yeah. or feel less alone, then yeah, that's exactly. a huge win. A huge, huge win. Yeah, for sure. Like, oh, I just, I love it. <laughs> so two things I always ask my guests before, um, before we wrap up. Um, one, thinking back to your five-year-old self, uh-huh. what bit of advice would you give? and why so it's a piece of advice oh god I'm actually getting really emotional about this it's a piece of advice that my nana gave to me and so long story short my nana had dementia but the last time that she was lucid and and that I was with her she, she grabbed my hand and she just said it's all about having fun and that's something that I turn around to my five-year-old self and be like it is all about having fun like have fun wherever you can and and like yeah like life can get tricky and it can get a bit shitty and like things don't go the way you expect them to but but have fun and try and find fun even if it's in like the smallest thing every day try and find your bit of fun that's definitely like my piece of my piece of advice to my five-year-old self amazing and a good bit of advice too yeah I mean it's that important to me that I've got it like tattooed across my ribs (laughs) really yeah amazing Just, just in case you forget, of course. Yeah, you know, you never know. You never know. <laughs> and um, the other question is a bit of a two-parter. So for, mm. for a moment, imagine that I am literally the world's best chef or home cook or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was dinner party. What, what, what would the food be? What, what would you have me cook? So this is a really difficult one because I think it changes seasonally. So like it depends what season you're going to ask me this in. If it's summer, it's going to be like an incredible barbecue with like loads of beautiful salads and like really good meat on the barbecue. Like, re- like, and I'm talking like real high end stuff. But then if it's like in winter, I'm thinking like, like a like soup for a starter, like a beautiful lentil soup for a starter, and then like a heavy pasta dish or like a like a stew or like a ragu or or like something like that and then like a crumble to finish but then again if it's summer and I'm going with the barbecue theme then it's like loads of like better and watermelon salads and like like fresh fruit and and loads of like light airy food and so yeah it just it completely depends like I love food like I I actually sometimes think I might have an addiction to food (laughs) it's probably why I work out so much yeah um yeah like completely dependent upon the season but if we're going summer it's a barbecue and going winter it's like a it's like a heavy pasta dish yeah for sure awesome and in terms of people at the table so um we'll say there's four other chairs there um that are currently vacant who are you gonna have uh-huh. so i <laughs> i was having this conversation actually with my mum, and i was like oh who would i invite and then like the first like three people i mentioned all of them were comedians and i realized that like i genuinely love to laugh and i like i love obviously like i love having fun so like, yeah. my first person would be billy Connolly because i yeah. think he's maybe the funniest man 
ever. And I don't think we're ever going to get another comedian like him ever in, in the world. No. Um, my second one, I think would be Kevin Bridges. Cause I also think he's genuinely hilarious. Like I can like listen to him on Spotify on a long drive and like be crying with laughter because he's so funny. <laughs> Ideal for driving. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, Noel Fielding is someone like okay. he's quite out there and I he really is. appreciate that about him I think he's I think he's really funny and he's very intelligent as well and I like that. yeah and then I think so that's what one two that's three so my last one would be Claudia Winkleman oh really uh, yeah because so her book quite is maybe one of my favorite books I've ever read and it's something that I go back to quite a lot and um She's incredibly intelligent. She did art history at Cambridge, like super, super clever. And just the way that she views the world is something that I really appreciate. And I just like, she really sticks to her guns. And yeah, I just, I really like that book. And I'd love to like pick her brain about things that she says in it. And I think I quite like to live, I quite like to live how she lives her life. So yeah, those, I think those would be my four guests. Like looking back, they were all quite funny people. So I was going to say, like, even Claudia, I, I think is is quite a quite a funny person. Um, yeah, I love the fact that you went for Billy Connolly. Oh, I love him so much. So I, yeah. Like Billy Connolly has a really, really like soft place in my heart. Like he'll be there forever. I think he's the funniest man to walk the planet. I kind of grew yeah. up on Billy Connolly. Yeah, I mean, so my like my whole family is from Glasgow, so like the, the sense of humour is like, and that's probably why I love Kevin Bridges as well. Yeah, that sense of humour is like that's my sense of humour, and so like when people don't necessarily understand it, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's the funniest thing in the world. How can you not find this hilarious? I I, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I I completely agree. Say same. I, I, fact, most of my family still still mm. up in um up in glasgow um i mean I, w- I was born up north but moved down here when i was like four mm. um which I, I must admit i'm still still a bit gutted about uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah it's fine i won't hold grudges um yeah. but there is just something about that scottish humor um yeah that is just a, another and level. it's not something that you can learn either like you're no. either you either have it or you don't yeah 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 um yeah and and Noel Fielding as well I mean he's a really I'm I'm not a massive fan of him on Bake Off particularly Mm -hmm. but I love his um kind of tv programs where you know the really out there stuff that he's done (laughs) Mighty Boosh and stuff like yeah (laughs) it's so far out there that it can't not be funny it's yeah and it's also so again like all all of them are really intelligent people and I think I'd like to pick all of their brains for the different things that they're really that their own topics and stuff so yeah I like I like intelligent funny people and that's what I learned from from trying to choose my people I was like oh like all these people have the same thing in common they are quite funny and they're also super intelligent so maybe I'm the same (laughs) (laughs) well you you surround yourself with like-minded people isn't that what they say yeah, very true. So, yeah, maybe I am. Let's all fingers crossed, eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, Brooke, thank you so much for coming on. It, it's been a really, a really wonderful discussion. Um, I really enjoyed that, and I'm sure, I'm sure listeners will too. 
um, I always uh, send people away with uh, love, kindness and compassion. So I'll send that your way too. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's been wonderful. Thank you. No worries. Well, thank you, friends. That's all we've got time for today. I'm sure you have enjoyed uh, today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you rate uh, the episode and the show's five stars on whatever platform you might be listening on. And of course, please share your own stories and your own um, kind of thoughts and feelings of the episodes in the reviews. You can also find me on I am Gavin Clark and that's Clark with an E over on Instagram and you can search for the safe place uh, on there too it's a safe place podcast but for now I'll send you away with love kindness and compassion speak soon